The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. <clears throat> so, good morning, and welcome to the part two of the introduction to mindfulness meditation. And some of you who are participating now, I hope, have done the part one, the, the nine-day introduction to mindfulness meditation that we did a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, and uh, which is, um, I think, archived on YouTube if you're interested, if you haven't seen that. And this part two, uh, hopefully, can also be a standalone for those of you who haven't had the part one. I hope that I give enough instructions in mindfulness that um, you can follow along, understand what we're doing, and maybe even more so than if you didn't uh, take the first one. And um, <clears throat> and uh, teaching mindfulness, uh, sharing mindfulness with people, uh, is one of my favorite things to do, and I have uh, put tremendous amount of value on our ordinary human capacity to have it to be attentive, to pay attention, to bring a careful quality of noticing of of attention to our life as we live it, and to enter into the lived experience of our life uh, in a way that we can't if we are too uh, caught up in our um, spinnings of our mind, our ruminations, our ideas of the future and the past, if we're too much in the grips of our emotions and too much kind of distracted or in fantasy or just uh, um, it kind of takes us away from ourselves, takes us away from our lived experience of the moment. And to be able to discover how to be mindful and to bring clarity of attention to the present moment makes everything else go better. It tends to improve quality of a life. It tends to make us wiser, more capable of engaging in the world in a nice way. Uh, it even also is a tremendous support for people who, do, who want to do other forms of religious practices, uh, from other religions even. Uh, many people have come and learned the basics of mindfulness, and they were able to do uh, their own religion in a much more effective and meaningful way because of their capacity to pay careful attention and their capacity to recognize how to work with what takes them away from their experience. And that is what the topic is for this part two of the introduction to mindfulness, is how to practice with, how to bring mindfulness to the very things that make it a challenge to be mindful. And the wonderful uh, uh, alchemy, uh, magic or of, uh, of mindfulness practice is that whatever is a distraction, whatever is a challenge for mindfulness becomes itself the object of mindfulness. In other words, as soon as you bring mindfulness to something, we are being mindful. And the very things that are distractions are only a distractions if we are not really clearly mindful of them. Once the distractions, once the challenges, and some challenges are really huge for people, um, but once we turn our attention to them, they become the practice. They're no longer distractions. They become the food, the basis upon which to develop mindfulness. And so sometimes we say in mindfulness practice, 
that there are no distractions. There's just something else to pay attention to. And why this is important is that many people, as they try to be in the present moment, try to be mindful, will get quite frustrated by the tendencies of the mind to leave the present moment. They get caught up in thoughts and ideas and reactivity and judgments and all kinds of things that we that make it hard to be present. And, um, and so uh, uh, the idea is to find a way to practice that we are not critical, we're not upset with what's going on, that we compost everything into one more thing to be aware of, one more thing, place to be mindful of. And so we say there's no distractions, just something else to pay attention to. Now, but, but, but because these, uh, there are forces which are quite difficult, make it difficult for us to be present, we want to have a lot of respect for them, to just casually say that we're going to turn our attention to the distractions, to the difficulties, and that's the end of it, doesn't respect how challenging some of the mental forces, uh, emotional forces that we have uh, for being present. Uh, some of these challenges are tapping into some of the deepest uh, places inside of us, unresolved places, places of pain, places of, of um, you know, of uncertainty, places of deep doubt, uh, places of purpose and value and all kinds of things. And so to be turned towards the very things that make it difficult needs to be done with care and attention. Um, and we'll talk about that over these uh, days. We have eight days to do this introduction to mindfulness part two and, um, talk, and talking about how to work with the difficulties of the practice. As a number of things I'd like to say today, mostly on an introductory level, one is we'll, we'll do some meditation every day that we do this, so uh, maybe even a, a couple of times at but we'll do it every day to, um, to kind of get in the, get to hopefully the meditation will uh, give you an experience of working with some of the things I'm talking about. Um, and um, the reference point for what we'll be talking about is a list, a Buddhist list called the Five Hindrances. That's the usual, usual English name for it. And uh, these are the list of the five primary things that the Buddha uh, mentioned as being the obstacles for developing a concentration, for becoming, uh, going more deeply into the meditation practice itself. There are lots of distractions, lots of things that make it challenging, but for the Buddha, these five are the primary uh, kind of human tendencies that uh, are obstacles to really going deep. The Buddha also called these five hindrances obstacles for becoming wise or being wise. That it, when, when the grip of these five, it's hard for our wisdom and our clear seeing, wise eyes, to see what's going on in ourselves and the world around us. So I'll be talking about these five and we'll go through them, uh, uh, you know, maybe some of these uh, uh, so-called hindrances, we'll go through and maybe talk about them for a couple of days at a time. But the focus of uh, today is mostly introductory in nature. So these five are, um, some of them are paired objects, so you actually seven total. Um, and the first two, one and two, and three and four are kind of opposites to each other. 
and the fifth is such a significant thing. It doesn't really have an opposite. Opposite in terms of, not in terms of the beneficial opposite, but also opposite in terms of um, kind of the challenging opposite to it. So the first two, the first is uh, uh, sensual desire. And the opposite of that, number two, is aversion or hostility. And that these are powerful forces inside of us uh, that we want, des- we have desires, we feel com- compelled by our desires, desires take over in all kinds of ways that uh, make it hard to be mindful. We get pulled into the gravitational force of our desires. Or we get pulled into the gravitational force of our aversions, our hostilities. So one, the first one, desire is desire for something, and the second is the desire away from something, desire not to have something. Number three is usually translated into English, maybe because it was Victorian English people who translated these texts, as sloth and torpor. And I'll talk more about what this is. But, um, uh, and then number four is restlessness and worry, restlessness and regret. These are the more act. So the first is kind of the dropping of energy and becoming dull. The uh, the the four, fourth is uh, being overactivated, over energetic, kind of agitated with all the energy we have and restlessness we might have. So the pendulum can swing between low energy and kind of heightened uh, uh, hyper energy. And then the, f- the fifth is doubt. Uh, the uncertainty, the questioning, the being perplexed, uncertainty of what to do and what to, where to go and unsure of ourselves. And it can be a huge kind of trap to be caught up in doubt, uncertainty, uh, in, in being mindful, what to pay attention to, what to do, what are we doing here. So five qualities. Um, sensual desire, ill will, aversion, hostility sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, and doubt. So we'll be, uh, um, that's kind of the topic. And, um, and I hope that as we do this uh, two weeks together, that uh, you'll be kind of, hopefully at some point, kind of delighted, maybe amused, maybe inspired, maybe tremendously encouraged, in the practice to appreciate that the very things that make the practice difficult become folded in to become part of the practice. It's a way of starting to become free of these places, becoming free of the very things that keep us from being free. The mind, the heart, our attention keeps getting caught up and captured by these things. But the very idea that rather than getting rid of them, you can actually turn around and look at them and really recognize they're there um, and recognize aspects of them and begin working with them um, is just a great pleasure. Um, and sometimes when these hindrances come up for me and I turn around and recognize, oh, um, uh, oh, look at that. Um, um, there they are. And just the very recognition, I sometimes get a smile on my face. Oh, okay, there it is. And now I'm even amused sometimes. So I don't know exactly what your reactions will be, but I hope that as we get the hang of this, 
that you really find the value of what we're talking about. So let's uh, do a meditation. And, uh, and it will be a basic mindfulness meditation. But near the end of the meditation, I'll ask a question or point to something to be mindful of that begins moving in the direction of understanding these hindrances or these challenges. So um, uh, you want to begin by taking a posture that's suitable for you for meditation. Generally, the, for most people, that's to take an upright seated posture where we can sit up a little bit more alert than we would if we just sat down in an easygoing way, but not so much that we get tense. The idea is to find a posture that promotes alertness and relaxation. Some people, because of whatever their condition might be, will sit, will lay down. Some people do meditation standing. It's the only way they can kind of find the right combination of alertness and and uh, relaxation with the challenges they have with their body. Uh, some people will find that the, what works best for them is walking meditation. And uh, they'll just walk very quietly back and forth. But the, the general reference point for what we're talking about is uh, seated meditation. So if I make more reference to that, uh, you know, please understand that I'm inclusive of all the different ways. So um, if you could uh, then, uh, sitting upright, take uh, and close your eyes. And then uh, take a few long, slow, deep breaths. Breathing in deeply. And as you exhale, relax into your body. Breathing in deeply. And feeling the rib cage and your expand and stretch. And this is a little ritual, both of relaxing and settling in, but also remembering, remembering that we're going to be connected and attentive here in this body at this time. And then gently closing your eye, uh, gently letting your breathing return back to normal. And, and with an easy breath, not concerned too much about how you're breathing, except whatever feels natural enough. Take a few moments to scan through your body to see if there's any places you can relax, soften. You might be able to soften around the face around the eyes, forehead. Perhaps as you exhale to relax the muscles of your face. And perhaps you can soften your shoulders as you're exhaling, softening around the shoulders 
the areas of your shoulder blades. And then as you exhale, relaxing in the area of your chest. Releasing the tensions of your, te of your chest. And then perhaps you can also soften your belly. There's a way of relaxing and releasing the belly where it all settles down, settles to the pelvic cavity, creating a firmer foundation for your torso, a place of rest for the belly. And then within your body, as part of your bodily experience, become aware of your body breathing. And to begin mindfulness of breathing, to begin in a modest way, counting as you go, count three breaths, just three. And let yourself really be present, relaxing into those three breaths as you count them. And then doing that again, one more time. And then as you each count, each exhale, maybe in the quiet of their own mind, pronounce each count so it fills the whole exhale. So one, to really write, let the whole thinking mind become quiet. The mind centers itself on the one and the body centers itself on the body breathing.
then without counting or continuing if you find it helpful, let yourself hang out with the experience of the body breathing. Let that be the focus of your attention. Not forcefully, but also not casually. And somewhere between forceful and casual is clearly having a clear experience of breathing in and breathing out. As you exhale, relaxing the thinking muscle. Relax the pressure, tension, agitation associated with thinking. If you find yourself drifting away from your breathing, be just very simply, matter-of-factly, begin again with your breathing. If it's helpful for those first three breaths that you return to, you might count them so that you make a fuller connection back to breathing.
And then as we continue, if you notice that you get pulled away from breathing, you notice you're in your thoughts or in your feelings, rather than going back to your breathing, notice something simple about that experience of being pulled into thoughts or distractions. pulled into the world of your strong body sensations or strong emotions. Notice if there's some quality, way of being that you're either for the experience you're having or against it. Preferring something or not preferring. Leaning towards something or pulling away or pushing away. In some simple way, are you for or against what's happening? And rather than fixing it or changing it, you might see what happens if you if you can allow yourself to become clear, clearer, that this is what's happening. You're for something, you want something, you're against something, you clearly don't want it. Are you leaning towards something when you get distracted? Are you pulling back from something? Are you pulling something towards you because you want it? Or are you pushing it away because you don't want it? Some fundamental underlying way are the forces of distractions or preoccupation do they represent being for something or against something? And what happens to you when you clearly recognize that there is a for it or against it? Simply to recognize And then you can return to your breathing. And the next time you get distracted or lost in thought, caught up in something that's challenging, see if you can notice the simple aspect of it. 
Is there a for or against? And how strong is that? What happens when you recognize it that's there? next time that you notice that you're distracted or preoccupied with something, recognize that's the case and see if there's any way that you can relax the mind or the body in relationship to that. Is there any tension associated with it that can be softened? And then perhaps begin again with your breathing. And then to end this meditation, you may again take a few deep breaths, feeling your body more fully, 
Feeling the contact of your body against a chair, cushion, floor, whatever you're on. And then as you hear the bell, you can get ready to open your eyes. So, so we sit and practice, try to be present with our experience and to recognize and be mindful of what's happening. Be aware of it as it's happening. And then sooner or later, and more often sooner rather than later, we get distracted, we get preoccupied, we find that something's occurring that's quite makes it really challenging to be present. Sometimes the challenges can be part of the present moment experience. So for example, there can be strong discomfort in the body or there can be strong emotions welling up. But they're so strong that it's really hard to stay mindful. Mindfulness being this relaxed, open awareness that just allows things to be as they are with a lot of equanimity, a lot of balance, and just feels it in the present. There can be a lot of reactivity going on. And, um, and when I was asked you during the meditation to ask if you were, any time you got distracted or preoccupied, did it represent a movement of being for or against something? Preferring something or not preferring it? Uh, being, uh, uh, you know, wanting something or not wanting it? Uh, these are very deep, fundamental movements of the mind. And it's pretty normal. It's kind of a, what the mind does is for things and against things, want things, doesn't want things. But when those become strong, we lose our freedom. When they become strong, they take over. And we don't, when we tend, when really strong, we lose our wisdom and we act compulsively or unconsciously even. But by beginning to look at these movements of distractions, from this very simple kind of basic idea of being for or against something, it can be a little bit hard to see. I think you get used to it over time, exactly how that works. But it uh, begins give you a, giving a, you a sense that you don't have to get caught up in the details of what, you, what it is you're for and against. You don't have to kind of think about it more or analyze it in some deep way or figure out something about it that we, it's possible to go underneath the, the, the mental concerns that have to do with the story, the ideas, to something that's more fundamental about the experience. Something that's kind of fundamental, maybe even universal. That uh, oh, it's, it's a desire, it's a wanting. It's a, a aversion, it's a pulling away, it's a not wanting. It's a leaning towards, it's a pulling back. And those kinds of simple, that's so simple movements don't have much, to, doesn't explain what it is about, but it does explain something about how we're in relationship to what's going on. And beginning to see 
that this is more fundamental than the particular topic or concern that we have, points us to the fact that these five hindrances and many of these obstacles come from a place that's very deep and we don't have to take them uh, because they're deep or it's kind of basic, they're kind of basic to the human operating system, we don't have to be caught up in taking them personally. The very difficulties in meditation don't have to be used to define yourself as being a good meditator, a bad meditator, a good person, a bad person. You're not wrong because you're having it or right because you're having it. It's just something more to pay attention to. And what's operating is this more basic level of for and against kind of takes out some of the ideas of self and right and wrong and what it's all about and analyzing it. What I'm trying to convey is the idea we're trying to stay very simple with the experience. Trying to be aware and find our freedom, our clarity in the simple recognition of, oh, this is what's happening. Oh, it's like this. I don't have to be so concerned or so analytical or try to figure it out or involve so much in the stories of it all. I can just kind of be with the simplicity of the experience this kind of way. So that's beginning to move in a direction of turning the attention towards the distractions, towards the difficulties, rather than recoiling from them or getting confused or upset or reactive to it. These, uh, and as I said, the primary representations of these obstacles are the five hindrances. They don't cover all the different options of what can be difficult, but they cover a wide range. And how we learn to practice with the hindrances will teach us how to practice with a lot of the other obstacles that can come up as well. Um, one of the metaphors that the Buddha uses for the human being is uh, that of being a river, river of experience, a river of life. There's this flow and movement that goes on, vitality and energy. And the hindrances are kind of like, uh, and if th- that river has no, doesn't get drained, doesn't get um, diverted out into the plains, out into the side tributaries, that um, the river will just keep flowing in a big way. A big river flows quietly and fully and freely. But if the water starts getting diverted and get pulled off for something else, um, then the river begins slowly to diminish and dry out. And eventually, down what used to be downriver will be no water at all. The five hindrances are these forces that divert our life force, our energy. And they do, in a certain kind of way, dry us up. To be caught up too much in the hindrances, um, it, we lose touch with the fullness, the, the flow, the vitality that we are. And we can feel drier, more disconnected, more fragile more um, um, tense, all kinds of things can happen. The discomfort we feel by being caught up in the hindrances is often something people react to and try to get away from that discomfort, try to push it away, try to destroy it, try to go into fantasy to think wonderful fantasies to distract ourselves from it. We can get so uncomfortable that we want to give up. And one way to give up is to have sloth and torpor, just get really, really tired. 
Or we can just get restless and don't know what to do and spinning around and get agitated and worried at what's going to happen. Or when there's a lot of discomfort, there can be a lot of doubt. So sometimes we start with the hindrances. They're uncomfortable. And then we add hindrances on top of it. And sometimes there's a spiral or a progression where we start with something's uncomfortable, we're for or against, we're against the discomfort, we react to it with more hindrances, it's even more uncomfortable, and it just so goes on and on, and there's more tension builds up, the distraction, the distress builds up and all this. The Pali, the Buddhist word for hindrances, nivarana, literally means to cover over. And it's covering over uh, what's vital and important in us, covering over the depth of who we are, the fullness, the flow of the river. And so this process of starting to take off the cover of the hindrances, start seeing what's actually going on here. What's the deeper flow of energy? What's the deeper movements of activity going on here? And ultimately, the, these hindrances cover over our inner beauty. It cover, covers over what's very precious and wonderful about us. And it's kind of quite remarkable how these forces of distractions or preoccupations um, actually make it harder and harder for us to connect to the depth of who we are, the fullness of who we are. And it's a beautiful process, it's a wonderful process to begin uh, addressing these, being present for them, exploring them, understanding how to practice with them, becoming wise about them, so that we can uncover what is wonderful about us and the depth of our beauty, depth of of the value of the river of our life and how it flows. One of the very important principles around the, the five hindrances and distractions in general is um, that these are basic human tendencies we all have. If they're basic human tendencies we all have, it's, uh, it's kind of universal for human beings to have these operating. So you don't have to take them too personally or, not, or at all personally. You don't have, the fact that you have hindrances operating, you have strong desire, even addiction, or very strong tendencies to ill will, to aversion, and even hostility. Uh, as long as you don't, you know, it's important not to take them as being uh, a personal failing. Rather, we say, oh, say, oh, this is my version of a basic human tendency. Maybe it's very strong for me, but still, it's just a basic part and parcel of what it means to a human being. And the task is to become wise about it. The task is to learn how to practice with it, bring mindfulness to it, so that we're not caught in it, but we learn to be free. We learn to uncover what's wonderful underneath it, the things that they cover over. They help us bring out our wisdom. Uh, So as this introductory talk on the five hindrances, I'm using a lot of metaphors. Another metaphor for to introduce them that I like quite a bit is that they are um, black holes of the mind. A black hole is a collapsed star that has such a strong gravitational force, they say, that a light that uh, goes by it gets sucked in and never comes out. Because it doesn't bounce out, 
uh, we don't, there's no light, it just is black. There's no light there, just an empty spot of blackness. And um, at least from our, our eyes, how we see. And so these five hindrances can become quite strong and they become black holes uh, pulling in the, our, uh, the light of awareness, the light of attention. And the sad thing about the five hindrances is that our attention, our presence, our attentiveness to what's going on uh, gets pulled into the strong uh, uh, gravitational force of desire and ill will and sloth and torpor, restlessness, agitation, worry, and doubt, that the atten- we don't have any presence of mind to really see it clearly. And we can get pulled into stories, into ideas, into um, emotions and feelings connected to it. Mindfulness is meant to be the antidote that we step back from that gravitational force. We try to find our ways to step back and see what's going on. Oh, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And one of the very important tools for mindfulness in terms of doing this uh, is to use clear recognition, is to use our ability to clearly recognize what's happening. And that can be in the form of what's called a mental note. You can note, oh, desire, desire, or ill will, aversion, aversion. And the art of making a mental note is to do it in a relaxed and calm way, in a way that's not adding to the hindrances, adding aversion or desire, just kind of in in a nice, easygoing tone of voice. But to do it clearly enough, maybe repeatedly enough, that at some point you're doing the mental equivalent of taking some steps back and seeing something from a distance rather than being caught in the fray of a group of people that's filled with arguments and just arguing back and forth. They've lost themselves in the, in the yelling and the arguments they have. We take steps away from the group of people until we're far enough back we can just watch and see, clearly see what's going on, but we're not in there contributing to the, the arguments and the yelling and all that. So in the same way, we're st- the mental way of stepping back from these hindrances, oh, Strong desire, strong hinder, strong ill will. Oh, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. One of the ways that also can help if we're really caught in the grip of these distractions is to do uh, the three breath journey, like we did at the beginning of the meditation. Just say, okay, I'm caught up so much, so I, so I keep, 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 getting, keep getting pulled into this, keep getting pulled into this. I'm so preoccupied by this. Let me take the three breath journey. And just for three breaths, give yourself over to just breathing. And use the counting to really fill your thinking mind. Let, let your thinking be the count so that you are beginning to step back and not feeding or st- the preoccupations you have. And just give yourself fully over to experience the breath, to count the breath. And that might also just manage to reduce the energy, the intensity of these distractions so that you get a little bit calmer, more settled, so you can not be caught by it and step back and the recognition can act more fully. And if it seems after three breaths, it seems like you know the, the distractions are not so strong, then you might just stay with the breathing and continue for a while.
Or it might be that you would need to turn your mindfulness to the distraction, but now you can recognize it. Oh, that's what's happening. I see, I see. And if there's any tension connected to it, then you might see if you can relax that tension. Because sometimes the very thing that's fueling or propelling the hindrance is the tension we have in our system, the tightness, the pressure that we feel. And I know I've, I've made this analogy before, and I think in the inter, first interclass, but uh, it's kind of graphic, that um, if you take the, the top of a toothpaste tube and you squeeze, uh, you could push away the toothpaste that comes out over and over again, but toothpaste is going to keep coming out. You have to stop squeezing. So the same thing, this physical and mental tension that comes with distractions, comes with the challenges of meditation, um, as long as the tension is there, it's um, very likely that the thoughts, the preoccupations will keep being uh, pouring out, no matter how many times we let go of them. So to go and see, is there any tension in your system, in your shoulders, your face, in your belly, in the mind, that you might begin to soften and relax. And then you might not be so caught up in the web or the gravitational force of these hindrances. So that's meant to be a general introduction to these. Tomorrow I'll give um, uh, a uh, acronym or a set of five approaches to this practice of the hindrances that um, uh, kind of has an acronym BELLA, B-E-L-L-A, and uh, Italian for beautiful, which is one of the themes for this week for other purposes. And... and, um, and I will, um, you know, go through that and as part of the overview and introduction to these hindrances. And then we'll start going into them each uh, in detail. And different people tend to have one of them that's more prominent in their lives at certain times than others. And for some people, it's desire, which is really the predominant. Some people, it's ill will. Sometimes it's sloth and torpor. Sometimes restlessness and regrets and worries and some people doubt. And sometimes it's all of, all of the above, sooner or later. So we'll go through them uh, systematically. And as a way of ending, I thought that we could do a short meditation again, and, um, and partly to make some space for all these words to maybe sink in and, and uh, get me digested and also as a nice way of kind of transitioning to what you're going to be doing next. So if you can take uh, your meditation posture again, and perhaps close your eyes. And if it's difficult for you to sit upright, it's fine to sit back. You know, use a backrest, sit in a comfortable chair. Um, If there's some real difficulty and reason, especially for someone who's beginning in practice, uh, some people will do meditation lying down. So to um, then begin by taking a few long, slow, gentle breaths. As you exhale, 
relaxing and settling in. And then letting your breathing return to normal. And then with the breathing normally, you might then also look around a little bit. Is there any place in your body where there's tension, hardness? And can you, as you exhale, relax that tension? And sometimes it's hard to relax the tension, but somehow, the, for me, the word soften, uh, you can soften sometimes means around the tension. Not be hold, not hold attention tight, or be reactive to it, or kind of create a little bit of mental space around it, or feel that the boundaries of it are held by something softer, an attitude that's softer. So to relax or soften around the tension, and then sitting quietly. And as you are right now, is there or is there close by any one of these five hindrances? Is there any feeling of desire for something, wanting something, wanting meditation, wanting to be present, wanting to get away? Is there any aversion any hostility, not wanting, not liking something that's happening? Is there any collapse or lethargy or tiredness? Like not so much tiredness because you're tired, but like enough already. This is too much. Kind of a giving up. Or is there any agitation and restlessness, maybe because we're coming to the end and you're already starting to think about what's next for you. Or you're trying to understand what was taught here today and you're kind of excited or energized, trying to figure it out. Or do you have doubt? Are you perplexed, uncertain, And if any of those are true for you, take a step back and recognize that that's what's happening. Recognize it permissively. And it's okay. It's okay to be this way, provided you can recognize it's the case. To use a mental note to name it is kind of like naming someone you see, remembering their name, and just saying their name to them so they can relax. Oh, I'm known now. This is good.
having done a little bit of recognition, now in the middle of it all, middle of your body, middle of your experience, become aware of breathing. And it can be as simple as doing the three breath journey. And then very gently <clears throat> take a few little bit deeper breaths so you get a little bit more oxygen, a little bit more energy to your torso, your rib cage, your lungs. Kind of an affirmation of here you are. An affirmation of being of value, of caring for yourself of really being present for this life of ours by breathing in gently, fully, here, yes. This here and yes is the opposite movement than being caught up in the hindrances. And with this Fuller here, yes. I'll ring the bell to end the sitting. So I have two things to say to end this. Uh, one is another kind of metaphor story that comes back to the Buddha's time that's often told. That um, there is a kind of, a, uh, I think see it as a metaphor, anthropomorphizing of this kind of, of the obstacles, the difficulty in meditation that's represented by this kind of uh, trickster, devilish, challenging kind of opponent to the Buddha, a person named Mara. And it seems like Mara's job description was always to try to get, to prevent people from getting enlightened and get them to get people more involved with the hindrances and caught up in these kinds of difficulties. And, and the last thing Mara wants is anybody to become free of them. And um, so the Buddha had to work with Mara and to overcome Mara to become enlightened. But after the Buddha was enlightened, Mara would still come and find the Buddha. And I love this story because enlightenment doesn't necessarily mean that we're 
finished with having inner difficulties and challenges. It might mean, might, might mean that we have a whole different relationship to them so that we find ourselves free of them rather than uh, free with them or free free with their presence rather than needing to get, you know, not have them at all. And But what the Buddha does when Mara comes to see him is always very interesting. It's very instructive. The Buddha does not chase him away, doesn't get angry. The Buddha doesn't actually invite him in to have tea either. Come hang out with me. All the Buddha does, he looks at Mara and says, Mara, I see you. And whenever Mara is seen, Mara, I see you. Kindly, clearly, I see you. Mara will always run away. So don't invite the hindrances for tea. Don't get involved with them. Also, don't chase them away and get angry. The idea is to, I see you. I see you. Here you are again. My old friend, you're back. I see you. And in doing that, you might find that you're more freedom from them. And the second thing I want to say is that uh, I have a book, kind of a workbook on the five hindrances. It's called Unhindered. And um, some of you going through this might find that uh, reading that might be helpful and you know, seeing you know that uh, might kind of help you, support you. Some of the things in the book I'm telling you and the book has other things it says. And it's also a little bit of workbook. It has questions, reflections, and practices around each of these. Uh, and that's available, you know, online. Or some of it is available on an IMC, uh, an IMC website, Insight Meditation Center website. There is a, um, under resources, there's a, play, a link to written dharma. And the written dharma has all these articles I've written. And uh, in those articles, there's a whole subsection of them on the five hindrances. And I have an article in each one. So if you want to supplement this as we go along with those kinds of readings, my book or my articles, um, that might be nice. So thank you very much for being part of this, and I look forward to our time tomorrow.